you know, of course, like I'm a first time founder and I'm leading a team and sometimes questions pop up and I don't have the answer, you know, and I totally understand now that like fake it till you make it thing. And so there's a lot of little fear, but I don't think there's like a fear that's greater for me in terms of life mission than not living life to the fullest. You know, I think that's like, that's always been a really big fear of mine is like wasting time in a way. And so I think if you put that in context, like why not go after the things you want, you know, it's like, it's much less scary for me to like be rejected than it is to like not try. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. This is Pat McCauley, as always. My guest this week is the amazing Melanie Masserin. Melanie is the founder and CEO of the non-alcoholic aperitif brand, Gia. Uh, she is also a former Forbes 30 Under 30 um, and just has had a super impressive career uh, prior to founding Gia as well. Uh, we talk about Melanie's path from growing up in the south of France uh, to coming to the U.S. and working for Goldman Sachs and uh, a bunch of other large retail brands, um, how her struggle with finding healthy food in the U.S. has influenced her career path, why she stopped drinking uh, and how that eventually led to the idea for Gia, the challenges of launching Gia during the pandemic. They just uh, launched in early 2020. Uh, these surprisingly diverse adopters of Gia, everybody from baby boomers to uh, people in their early 20s, um, what drinking less has done for her life and some other things she does to keep herself well, um, why she's essentially stopped using email, why regret is more powerful than fear, um, her advice to entrepreneurs starting out, and all about how she's building a beverage brand of the future. Melanie is awesome. As I said, she is a super impressive entrepreneur and, and human being, and I hope you uh, can tell from this interview why. Uh, highly recommend you giving Gia a shot. Um, you can order uh, directly online, um, and I'll leave links to um, all their social media, website, etc. in the show notes, as I always do. Um, I will let uh, Melanie take it from here. Without further ado, the one and only Melanie Masserin. All right, Melanie, welcome to the show. Uh, for those that don't know, Mel Melanie is the founder of Gia. Um, and I don't know much about the business. I don't know much about you. We, we connected a, about a month ago and I've since been following the product in in all you've been doing and kind of diving into your background and, and all things Gia um, over the past few hours here. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited to get the story and, uh, and, and welcome. Thank you for having me. Hi. So yeah, so I would love to, I think a good place to start is um, both for the listeners and for me to kind of just get a sense of, of your path and your background. Um, I know you, you know, started, I think, at like Goldman Sachs, and then you were kind of in the hospitality space with Dig In. Um, and then this has kind of been like your for first like 100%, I think, 
entrepreneurial pursuit. And I would just love to understand, you can even go back further than that to um, growing up and how, you know, um, you know, that may have influenced what you're doing now as well. So wherever you want to begin, fire away. Yeah. And so I grew up in France. I grew up uh, between Lyon and Cannes, the south of France. Uh, and I, you know, really wanted to study in the U.S. So I came to Brown for college in Providence, Rhode Island, which interestingly is actually a really culinary city. I think it's the city that has the most restaurants per capita in America because um, there's this incredible uh, culinary school called Johnson & Wales there and like really, really great uh, chef talent comes out of there. Um, I actually worked at dining services for um, my entire college time. And when I graduated, which was in um, December 2011, so like a couple years after, you know, the depth of the financial crisis, I was very lucky to have a job at Goldman that would sponsor my visa and I really wanted to stay in the US. So I worked um, in their natural resources division and in investment banking in New York. I quickly realized it wasn't for me, but I'm so glad that I did it because I actually use the skills that I've acquired there like every single day. And uh, it's a bit of a running joke in the team that I can spot like a footnote or a comma that is wrong on a deck in like less than 15 seconds. <laughs> I'm always everyone's work um and uh, and that was definitely due to kind of the attention to detail that was taught uh, at Goldman and then um I jumped ship I I worked uh for one of Goldman's clients actually American Eagle Outfitters for a little bit because I wanted to work for a company that made products that were a bit more tangible to me than say natural resources um and I was there for just a few months they they were I think it was too big of a company for me to to be there really and and they were kind of um restructuring my team and so i i kind of made the decision to work for a startup in new york i very randomly um was introduced to the ceo of the Gin. they were very small at the time they had six restaurants i actually got put in touch with him because i sent a customer service email to the Gin with um suggestions for what they could do better i felt very strongly about their food and about their mission and i was definitely like a customer there um, and I thought wow I could help them and I don't know why I sent that email by the way I never do this and, <laughs> and it was very serendipitous because I ended up joining the team a few months later and I um, you know I ended up um, working there first uh, in strategy and then kind of taking on more creative role there I um, led the marketing team and then became creative director I designed some of the restaurants it was it was a really fun time. They expanded into the Northeast and I was really able to kind of see um, firsthand, like it's a very operational business, you know, it's like getting food for say $15 a plate that comes from farmers for, you know, hungry New Yorkers in a way that is like consistent and communicating on it is like no small feats and opening all these restaurants on a budget is no small feat and it really taught me you know like a lot of rigor I think we've with the pandemic we've sort of we have a better understanding of how difficult it is to run restaurants I think fast casuals or you know especially with the low margins that they have are like especially tricky um and so I, I my experience at begin like taught me so much and I was really lucky to be very close to Adam the CEO there who was a really great teacher and mentor and to this day you know if something is very hard like, he'll be one of the first people that I text because he'll always tell me the truth you know and it's important to have these people who will tell you uh, if you're 
if they think you're thinking about something in the wrong way. And then from there, um, I ended up meeting the team at Glossier. Glossier at the time was the kind of like hot new downtown brand um, that everybody was raving about. It seemed like they were doing everything in new way and the right way. And I was very keen to join and um, I ended up joining them in, what was it, 2016? and building kind of offline and retail for them, which was really fun. It's like the concept was, or the challenge was, how do you build the third dimension of a brand that was built on the internet? And how do you create an experience for the customer that will feel very glossy no matter where it is, but while speaking to different demographics? And um, how do you create, you know, um, how do you create a channel that will not necessarily compete with online? So there were a lot of, it was a really perfect blend of kind of brand and business and, you know, ultimately, intuitively what I love to do was create experiences it was create moments and then sort of like creating word of mouth at scale it's like how do you make every single customer one by one feel very special Uh, and how do you implement processes so that even if I'm not in the room which I was in the room a lot I was traveling a lot I was there all the time but you know how do you really create like training where every customer will have that differentiated experience that will be extremely personal, even as the stores are seeing thousands of people a week. So that was my time at Gaussian. It was really incredible, an incredible creative challenge, an incredible opportunity to work with a very, very talented team. Like to this day, you know, we're a very small team at Gia and sometimes we're like trying to solve a problem. I'm like, oh, I just wish I could borrow the Glossier creative team. They would definitely have the answers to that or come up with something really incredible. Um, so yeah, and then I ended up doing a bit of freelance. I, I, I felt like after leaving Glossier, it was really important to kind of find my thing. You know, I, I don't think I was ever a beauty girl. I really loved the mandate that I had there. And once we created the channel, it it, it was a bit less challenging. So I needed to move on. But I really felt like I missed the food world. I had grown up in an environment that was so much about food without really realizing it because Lyon, the city where I'm from, is like the most food-centric city you could ever think of. And the way that I was raised was like running around empty kitchens and just there was always like some sort of something getting made or being prepared. And and that was the way that we shared life in a way. And so I I thought I, I sort of had integrated that into my life as well in New York. Like I would host a lot and and at the same time, like as soon as I moved to America, I started having stomach problems. I actually always sort of had them, but it got much worse. And part of the reason why I joined the team at the Gin was I was just really interested in understanding like the food system and how it worked. And it was one of the few places where I could, you know, eat out and not really feel super sick after. And so you know, very slowly in a way that I didn't think would kind of um, carve my path professionally. I started just naturally gravitating towards like healthier food and hosting more and kind of recreating the things that had worked for me in my childhood in France. And it's almost like really making food your language of love in a way. Um, And especially in a city like New York where people don't host much, people don't cook much. I think there's really this culture of takeout, which I try to avoid as much as possible. So um, I, you know, I really wanted my next thing to be the thing for me. And um, I um, ended up consulting for a bunch of brands to sort of like buy time until the right thing came along. And at that point I had stopped drinking because I was kind of figuring out if that was one of the triggers that was making me sick. And it turns out that it wasn't, but I realized after 
not drinking for a few months that I just felt so much better. And even though I love wine, I am someone who has a very bitter palate for those of you who've tasted Gia, that will make sense. Um, I, you know, I love like uh, the tannins of wine. I love the way that it's compares, you know, or pairs perfectly with a meal. And yet there was like, I just didn't really want to go back to it in a way. It wasn't like, I could not tell you when I stopped drinking, but at some point I just never had another drink again. And I can't tell you if it was three years ago or four years ago, I just didn't feel right. Um, and then, you know, it was, I was actually in Italy with a friend, um, and we were talking and he's the one who sort of brought it up to me and said, why don't you do that? Cause I kept complaining about big elk and the way that we've been brainwashed to think that alcohol is the life of the party. Cause I felt like I had to always justify myself, you know, beyond the kind of food aspect, there was the social aspect that you're less fun. You're not participating. You are like, why are you passing on the next round of drink? All of that. So Anyways, that's my long-winded answer. That's how Gia, how the idea for Gia came to be. It wasn't called Gia, and it took another two years to bring it to life. But that was kind of the idea. It was like all the things that I had done in my life sort of made sense together with this brand. Mm, yeah, yeah, I love it. There are a lot of things you touched on there that I'd love to, I'd love to get into. And I think like kind of the, the biggest one in a problem you're trying to solve is like, yeah, it's that social aspect of, you know, if you're the person not drinking, not only is it like frowned upon, but you also like, there isn't anything besides like, you know, seltzer with lime or like, you know, most, most places you go to like the non-alcoholic options are like the kids drink menu. It's like soda or it's like, you know, in, in just because you're having that instead of like casually ordering, um, Gia or ordering like, you know, a non-alcoholic beer that looks like what everybody else is drinking. Um, you know, you have that, that, that scenario. Um, so what, what you guys are doing is super cool in that, like, you know, you're just, you're becoming another option for people. Um, where it's still, you're still having that experience of enjoying, as you said, you love, you know, like a really nice wine or used to love a really nice wine and probably the story behind it and everything that goes into it. And you seem to be creating that with Gia, more or less. Yes, for sure. We're definitely trying to create something that's like, you know, you, you mentioned non-alcoholic beers and it's interesting because they're the only analog that sort of works for me where, um, because it just it comes in a can and as a result that like, people can order it and sort of never know. But I feel like, and I also feel like because of the process of a beer, like you still have like nice non-alcoholic beers. I, I don't really drink non-alcoholic beers because I'm not much of a beer drinker, but I feel like you know, setting brewing and all these brands are have done a really nice job making people feel included and taking like a share in the category that um, stands up to alcohol. Where I find that the analogs in the kind of like tall bottle version, you know, and particularly like non alcoholic gin, just really falls short for me because it always sort of feels like a, a lesser version of the, an alcoholic drink. And it was really important for us to not do that, knowing, of course, that it would require more education because you're sort of building this new category. It's designed for taste and not function. It's not really meant to buzz you, but because it's made with real ingredients, like obviously there's natural benefits to it. And so it's just like, it's confusing to people. And so 
I guess the way that I explain it is like, it's a drink and like a real drink is not a drink that's made with booze. It's, it's a drink that's made with real ingredients and just try it. It's like really delicious, you know? So what the challenge for us was how do you build a brand that's like more fun even and like that really stands up to alcoholic brands, but not even so much in terms of the product because we absolutely didn't try to mimic them. I'm like, if I'm not drinking, I don't want fake vodka, you know? Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the community and the participation, it's like, okay, if you're someone to, who chooses to drink a Gia, what does that say about you compared to if you're someone who chooses to have something else? Mm. And why? And make them feel good about that, you know? Mm. Yeah, and, and how did you choose? Obviously, I, I read your kind of the background story of the brand, but why did you choose? Am I saying it right? A- aperitif? Yes, sure. So I'm so many reasons. There's business reasons and there's like moments reasons. And I would say that aperitif is probably the most prevalent occasion that defined my childhood because aperitif is not so much like the product in France as it is like apéro, which is that sort of like post-work pre-dinner drink. But that phase can actually be like four hours of your day, you know, in like the summer. And so it's like 5 p.m. to whenever you have a late dinner, which is around 9 p.m. in like a house in the south of France. And so um, that would be like, it's just like a very nice moment where people like come together, decompress. Um, and also I think it sort of perfectly anchors the evening, whereas you could choose to partake, you know, until a bit later. It's also um, a time of the day when you will choose to consume an aperitif and an aperitif is a drink that specifically is meant to prepare your palate for food so it's not too sweet which is something that was really important to me yeah it doesn't have any added sugar as a result it's too bitter for most but you know i want people to be able to have the option to use the mixers of their choice to make it as sweet as they want like you could have it with kombucha if you wanted you could have it with sparkling water if you prefer it a bit better most people really like it with ginger beer or a splash of tonic and so, you know, I think we wanted to create a drink that was really versatile and, and I love the um, complexity of aperitifs. I also love how simple they were. Like I wasn't trying to suddenly create some super elaborate cocktail that would require 10 ingredients. Like the idea is that you can open your bottle and just, you know, spritz it with whatever bubbles you have, whether it's Prosecco for low ABV or just a splash of sparkling water. And it's something that needed to be absolutely not intimidating. The base, like Gia in itself, is complex enough that you don't need to do too much to it. And I thought that was really important. Yeah. And what was the biggest challenge, would you say, from like the day you decided I mean, maybe there's a thousand, but if you could, if you could maybe pick one or two from the day you decided to, you were going to do this to having a product that you thought was like super good. How long did that take? And what were some challenges? Um, It took a year. It was actually the the most difficult part of building this company is I really, you know, it was like, if this is going to be the thing that I do for the next 10 or 15 years, the product needs to be best in class. And I was banging my head against the wall because I think people assume when you're doing something non-alcoholic, it has to be much less complex. It's very one note. Um, And so developing a flavor that was a certain kind was really difficult. And then once we had the flavor, finding a factory was really difficult because you need like booze factories are not as clean because booze preserves 
a lot of the beverage. So you needed a food grade factory that would be able to bottle it like a bottle of wine. So there were like kind of tooling requirements to layer on top of like food requirements that um, that were really challenging. And then um, keeping your formula stable when you don't have um, when you don't have alcohol in it is also very difficult. Um, so there were like kind of a plethora of challenges, none greater than launching Gia during the pandemic. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. And as we were, as we were hinting at before we came on here, you guys, like, you know, nothing but the pandemic world and um, how has that sort of like shaped things? Has it, has it changed a lot? I mean, other than maybe you're not like probably in like a ton of restaurants at the moment, you're probably doing a ton of direct to consumer, um, but how has that kind of affected everything? Yeah, I mean, we launched a company in all the ways that I didn't want to launch a company. You know, I think a lot of people think <laughs> an Instagram brand, which is actually my nightmare. Um, but all in all, given the cards that we were dealt and the way that we have had to launch, like I couldn't be happier with the response because I think it was a particularly difficult time for people um, who have turned to booze for coping, I would say, and being able to offer an alternative during this time was particularly important. Obviously it's made a business very difficult because we have a beverage brand and in beverages, you know, trial drives conversion. People have to taste it before they buy a bottle. And so we always say like, you know, just buy Gia and if you hate it, like email list will refund you. There's nothing else that I can say. I want people to try it. I have a feeling they'll like it. Um, but it's it's been it's been really difficult for that reason. And it's definitely slowed us down, I think, in many ways. So but in hindsight, like the fact that we pushed through and were able to kind of offer a little bit of solace to people in these times and that people have still been willing to share Gia and tell their friends about it. You know, we've had incredible word of mouth um, and we have some customers that feel so strongly about our brand that they've been really incredible kind of non-official ambassadors. And, and it's been like a really special time that I, I think there are moments uh, of this year that we'll remember fondly. Mm, yeah. And who do you right now, who is like the average customer for you? Is it people that are sober? Is it people that um, are just trying to drink less? Like, is it old? Is it young? Like, who who have you sort of appealed to in the early days here? Yeah, so actually... I thought that because of our go-to-market strategy being mainly digital, we would have a sort of, um, you know, healthy or like wellness-centered kind of big cities, millennial customer demographic. And it turns out that it's a lot more diverse than this, which is so super great, um, both in terms of demographics and psychographics, meaning I think because a lot of people were quarantining with their parents, they ordered Gia first and then the parents have adopted Gia. So we have a lot of customers who are baby boomers, which I find to be so great. I wish my parents loved Gia. Unfortunately, they're French and they're very hard to convince not to drink wine. But I, you know, I think it's so great that we have like entire families drinking it. So that was the first one. And then um, we also have people in all different cities, you know, we ship to every single state, um, which I guess now makes sense because we're seven months old, but pretty early on, like we realized the, um, the kind of like map of our shipping orders is like 
it's it's kind of read everywhere. Of course, like our first city is Los Angeles because we're based here. But beyond that, um, we we have we really have you know been able to reach like a small number of the population in every state, which has been really great. And sort of tells you that like GIA is for everyone. You know, of course, we have women who are expecting or people who are in recovery because GIA is zero point zero percent alcohol, so it's safe for everyone. But that's a small number, and and it kind of tells me that maybe this pandemic actually was good for us because people who have maybe in social environments would not have, you know, tried not drinking, like have, you know, given us a chance maybe more because they felt less pressured by the outside world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So on, on more of a personal front, what was your relationship with alcohol prior to stopping drinking and what has it done for your life, um, if anything, since you've stopped? Yeah, it's a question I get a lot and, or sometimes I can tell people are tiptoeing around it a little bit. I think people always wonder if like I had a problem with alcohol before and like, actually I totally didn't. It's much easier for me to say no to booze than it is to say no to pasta, um, or carbs of any kind, but I was never a big drinker at all but I always like really loved you know a glass of wine or you know two glasses of wine so while I didn't think I was a big drinker I would you know easily consume like three or four glasses of wine per week probably um and living in New York City and going out to dinner a lot of the time and I don't know I I guess well first of all like I realized yes it does it is one of the triggers you know for um, stomach aches, IBS, leaky gut, all of the different things that I think a lot of women today suffer from. So that was kind of like part of my own personal journey was just like deciding to not drink. But I also just feel, and this is going to sound so cliche, but I really feel like in terms of energy level and fogginess, when I was drinking even a little bit, I was operating at 70%, which People tell me in confidence, and that's actually everyone. It's not just me. I was getting kind of bad brain fog, I guess. Um, and now I just like, you know, I wake up before my alarm every day and I watch the sunrise every day. And it sounds like this kind of like perfect LA life. And it's really far from, you know, being perfect. But in terms of sleep and energy, it's been really special. Mm, yeah. And outside of that, as somebody who you know, is, is running your own company, obviously somebody that has a, a wellness, um, aspect of their life. Um, what are some other things outside of not drinking that, um, you try to do to keep yourself sharp and keep yourself high performing and well? Yeah. I mean, it's not always easy. You know, we were talking about it this morning and cause we worked late and woke up early again. Um, and you know, I think we'll really try even in spite of the pandemic to get outside and move. So I've been playing a lot of tennis. Um, I also, and we'll see, uh, if this lasts, but I'm currently doing a test where I don't answer, you know, non business critical emails anymore because I'm, my inbox at some point had fully swallowed me and yeah, still a team of three people only. And I want to be able to spend more time with my team and be really be enjoying this time of creating the brand and giving, you know, kind of being closer to our customers and, and really understanding like how we want to be building the foundations of this company and hours a day on email. That's really precious creative time that I'm not going to be able to, 
to have. So I'm trying it. It's very hard for me to say no. I'm definitely someone that like any DM I get, you know, I'll be like, yes, of course I'll get coffee and like kind of share tips. And I've just reached a point where I can't really do that anymore. And so I'm trying saying no, which is difficult, <laughs> but we'll see. Check back in in a month. Yeah. 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 And you seem like totally a person that like you go after things, right? And it seems like even in like your your kind of corporate life, if you will, like you went after jobs that you wanted, you went after kind of companies you wanted to work for. Now with Gia, you're obviously like following, you know, a, a passion of yours and something um, that is kind of stepping out into the unknown and uncertainty and all this. How do you, how do you see like fear and how do you see, um, you know, all, all the challenges that come with starting a company, but also kind of like going after what you want. How do you kind of set your goals and go after them, I guess is a better way to say it. Hmm, that's a really good question. Let me think about this. It's funny because I feel like there's so much fear like on the daily with Gia where there's this fear of people not liking it or this fear of um, not knowing. You know, of course, like I'm a first-time founder and I'm leading a team and sometimes questions pop up and I don't have the answer, you know? And I totally understand now that like fake it till you make it. Thing. And so there's a lot of little fear, but I don't think there's like a fear that's greater for me in terms of life mission than not living life to the fullest. You know, I think that's like, that's always been a really big fear of mine is like wasting time in a way. And so I think if you put that in context, like why not go after the things you want? You know, it's like, it's much less scary for me to like, rejected than it is to like not try Mm. yeah and where do you think like where do you think that comes from like where does that like self-confidence for you come from I don't know because I definitely don't think I'm that confident (laughs) um but I don't know I think like I you know I definitely am someone who tries to have a very positive outlook on life and I think that that's something that shows in the brand it's definitely a pillar of our company is like, we really try to see the glass half full. Um, and that comes from probably the person who inspired Gia in the first place who was my grandmother. And she made every small moment in life, like completely extraordinary. You know, she didn't have a lot of means, but she appreciated everything she had so much. And I think that that's really like, that's the way that I want to live as well, right? It's like, how do you make the most of what you have? You know, she always said she lived, She was the one who lived in the south of France and she would cook all the time. And she always said, when you lived in the sun, you have all the same problems that everybody has, but you have the sun. And and that really stuck with me. It's like, oh, you remember what you have. I don't know if it's like primo entrepreneurship advice, but <laughs> yeah. maybe look at this on a different way and it's also something that I think about a lot you know being in LA like it's so sunny outside today we're like you know late January and I feel so lucky to be here mm. yeah no I like I like the perspective of like you know w- what's scarier is getting to you know the end of your life whenever that is and you know realizing you didn't go for it because you were afraid 
you know, and, and if you can look at things with that perspective of like the, the kind of regret that you will have by not taking the chance. Um, yeah, but people, people still struggle with that. So to, to like the average, like young entrepreneur listening or to the person that is like maybe in their corporate job and has been, but they have this urge to, you know, pursue something bigger or something more aligned with who they are, what advice would you give to that person? I would say like, make sure it's something that you can sustain. Cause I know in this context, it kind of sounds like, it was like, Oh, I knew. And I went after it and it's like, no, actually I left glossy and it was really scary because I didn't have another thing lined up. And I really took my time to think about what I was doing. You know, I had like eight clients that I did jobs for in between. And it's only because I did a number of, consulting projects for sweet green that one of my friends who is there like actually talked to me about maybe doing this beverage thing that I had been talking about and and I think that it's really important to create things you can sustain something we also talk about it a lot in terms of like what does it mean to be a sustainable company and it's like something that the environment can sustain but something that also the people on the team can sustain and it's like if you don't feel like you're going to be working here for the next five years or ten years and it's your business and it's probably not something that's worth dedicating you know x percent of your life to and it's like x percent of your life in terms of number of years but like 80 percent of your daily life during those years you know it's like i live and breathe yeah i definitely like think about it like i don't know 98 percent of the time <laughs> at this point we're six months post-launch um and so i would say understand what it will take for you to be ready and and only go after it once you feel like you're ready. Meaning you won't know everything, but you'll be able to to kind of overcome the doubt. It will feel right when it is. Mm, yeah. And to somebody that is maybe trying to um, drink less or stop drinking, you're obviously somebody that successfully has done that. And I think like from the sense I'm getting with you, like, again, like you have this certain level of self-confidence, whether you think so or not, but like, that's a decision. I think just like for me, like I've been, you know, vegan for years and it takes a certain level of self-confidence in like social situations, just like not drinking takes a certain level of self-confidence. But what would you say to somebody that is trying to drink less um, or stop drinking? Yeah, I mean, I would say you don't have to commit to it forever. It was definitely easier for me to to commit to it, to doing it forever, but it's only after a few months of just kind of reducing my alcohol consumption and not, not labeling myself that I felt like I could do that. And the reason for that is that it's much easier to not drink when you're not asking yourself at every meal, if you're going to have a drink, like for me, that was a lot of headspace. And I'm sure it's the same for you. It's like, if you had to decide at every meal, whether you wanted to eat meat or not, like that would be very distracting. Whereas I'm sort of someone that who knows I'm someone who occasionally eats meat and I never drink alcohol. And so I don't have to think about it. So I can think about other things. And I think for a lot of people, like the pressure is like, I don't know, am I sober? What does it mean to be sober? And it's like, Nobody cares, you know, like you don't have to report to anyone. First of all, everybody has a negative relationship with alcohol because alcohol is really bad for you and it's a depressant and we've been told that it's not. So 
I am a bit more vocal about this now than I, I was in the past because I felt like I had to kind of like tiptoe around the issue and not upset anyone. And in reality, like I think that the more individuals are able to talk about it, the more it really helps others um, with their own personal journeys with alcohol. But the reality is like you can drink on a Monday and you can not drink on a Tuesday and you don't have to report to anyone about anything. It is entirely personal. So I would say, you know, start there. Start by tr- seeing if you're cool with drinking water at a meal, or if you want to have a ghee or if you, you know, I think that once people see those benefits, like they'll naturally, they'll naturally want to want to drink less. And I really hope that over the next few years, you know, we'll see alcohol feel a bit more like cigarettes. Like no one would push cigarettes on someone, you know? And yet, you know, and cigarettes, I don't know, are just, they're, you know, booze is just as bad as cigarettes, I would say. Um, I don't know if that there's an exact stat on that, but um, I feel like just kind of same category. Um, so yeah, start somewhere. Mm, yeah, yeah, I like that. And I will say for me, like, you mentioned like the no pressure, like something you know, drinking is something now that you don't do. And it's kind of just like off the menu for you. And it's kind of like, you know, when I feel like when you get to a point where something's like off your menu, like for me, like, you know, meat is, is off my menu. So there's like, when I'm in a situation where like, I'm offered something in your, in your case, alcohol, and it's just not something you do, right? Like if somebody offered me a cigarette, like I don't smoke, it, they're like, like, there's no pressure with it. Right. But I think people kind of get caught in like the in between where, you know, I think dry January works great because it's people are like, Oh no, I'm, I'm doing dry January. Like it's off my menu and it like eases the pressure of having to make that decision. But when it's like this gray area where it's like you do sometimes, I think that's where people kind of struggle at least in the early goings until they get to a point where they're kind of more comfortable with things for sure and i think you know the the fact that we're gathering less right now is actually really helpful and i think um i hope that what gia does is that it actually changes the conversation a little bit yeah i hope that gia um helps give that blanket excuse that I think a lot of people need to start not drinking. I'm sure you get that, you know, you're at a restaurant, everybody wants to order the steak and you're like, Oh, actually like I don't eat meat. And you have like two people that are frowning and like one person that's like, are you vegan? When did you decide to be vegan? Do you eat tofu? Do you eat milk? Do you eat eggs? You know? And it's like, (laughs) I get that when I don't drink. And I'm like, I just really wish that I didn't have to like explain this whole thing every time. And I hope that, people that will be the first step is say I'm gonna have a gear it's delicious you know and that's it like no more conversation so that you can explore this relationship with alcohol yourself before you have to kind of label it or um, make it something that belongs to others yeah yeah totally agree yeah if you can just say I'll take the gear or I'll take the athletic brewing or I'll take the hop tea or I'll take the, I'll take the double decker impossible burger, you know? And it's just like, it's an option. You're having a burger, you're having a drink. And it's like, everybody right. like, don't judge anybody. <laughs> right? Incognito and like, there's no judgment. And like, I mean, my personal challenge is how do you make Gia like even something that people want to partake in? Because it's, it's like reflects something positive, you know, 
and, and the idea for Gia came from like me noticing that I was like, oh, I have all these like high functioning friends that like also are not drinking. And like, that was because people started talking about it more. And I was at dinner and there would be another person not drinking. And I was like, wow, suddenly I had an ally somehow. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think it's like, um, you know, I've been doing these dry January episodes and like so many people and high performing people are just like, yeah, like it, it just can't be part of my life if I want to perform at the level I want to perform at. And if I want to be a hundred percent, you know, all the time, it's like, it just doesn't fit in with kind of like the high performance mindset, in my opinion, you know, or, or very, or very little, but, um, yeah. So in terms of like, I was curious in terms of like where you guys fit in, I've seen like at Whole Foods, for example, I've seen like non-alcoholic like cocktails or mocktails like weirdly in like the sauce slash like, um, you know, vinegar aisle, like where, where have you found and maybe you, you don't know this yet, but where do you like fit in, in terms of like where you are on a shelf with this product? It's very hard. Um, a few select number of supermarkets around the country now have kind of non-alcoholic spirits aisles um and so we are you know in those places whether it's market of choice in oregon which was actually the very first to reach out to us and we were so grateful when they placed an order for 30 cases we thought it was a typo in the email and we didn't even have 30 cases on hand <laughs> um, so they were like they were the first and, and we love to give them a lot of love for that and then we recently launched at air one market in california we're also in a number of vanity grocers around the country fox Trot and dallas in chicago and those are kind of supermarkets that are a bit more aware of this trend. I hope that as new competition come to market, we will be able to carve out like a real aisle so that we're not in the kind of non-refrigerated beverage aisle, which is almost 100% of the time across from the kimchi section. Um, and so <laughs> uh, we're, there's not like a perfect... There's not a perfect aisle for us yet, but I hope that changes. Um, you know, we also love to say, yeah, I should be in every cheese shop in America, but it's not like the velocity is the highest. And actually, I would love for Gia to be in a lot of wine stores and a lot of liquor stores because we want to be, uh, you know, seen as, as culinary forward as that. We definitely put as much thought into our product as, you know, winemakers, no offense to winemakers, but I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of, of kind of, the minutiae that went into developing Gia. Like we really sweat that one out. Um, but you know, there's we're still living in a world where three-tier legislation um, makes it very difficult and protects alcohol brands. And so in a number of states in America, we're not even allowed to be sold next to booze. So we wouldn't be able to sell in the liquor store in New York. And I hope that uh, that also changes at some point. Mm. Yeah, do you think we're at a point where not drinking is cool. Like I, I compare right now the non-alcoholic space a lot to like the plant-based space, like five years ago, it was like still kind of weird and fringe. And now it's like, in my opinion, like totally, um, you know, mainstream and way more accepted. I feel like that's where the non-alcoholic space is right now. It's like, it's still a little weird and like unknown and kind of brands are figuring out where they fit in but I feel like it's almost cool and almost mainstream. It's like a few years away from that. Where do you, where do you, you kind so. of are? I think, 
I think we're not quite at the point where not drinking is cool, you know, but I think that we're seeing a lot of cool people who are not drinking and that's really exciting. You know, if like, I'm sort of like, if Chrissy Teigen and Brad Pitt can be sober, like, should I be sober? You know, like, <laughs> you know? They're, they're both looking pretty good. Um, and, and they're both like very much opening up about it. And, and I think that that's, that's really great. I, I do think that in a few years, I don't know if it will be a trend, like it will be cool. Like, I don't, no offense, but I still don't think that it's that cool to be vegan, you know, but I think it's like people are cool with it. And ultimately that's what matters the most, you know? Right. Right. Cause people- then it's that lasts a bit longer. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're getting uh, close to an hour here, so I don't want to keep it too much longer, but um, I want to uh, just give you the opportunity. Tell us where, um, we can follow you where, um, we can order the product, where people can get it. You mentioned a couple spots, but if there's any other places, uh, kind of chains that people can find it. Yeah. So you can buy the product on drink. Um, there's also a stockist page on our site where we have 150 stockists, a bit more actually, we all called one by one. We self-distribute to them. So that was a big achievement. Um, and you can follow Gia on Instagram at drinkia. Amazing. Amazing. Well, before the last one, I just want to give you a shout out. Like you're somebody that it, it seems like has totally followed like your, your passion and, and what you want to do for, for most of your life. And Gia is obviously a product that is, you know, helping people and is like a very positive pro health, like giving people, um, the power to make healthier decisions in their life. So kudos to all you've done in the fact that you've launched this during a pandemic and are still rolling and moving forward. Um, I just give you a huge shout out and um, I wish you nothing but success. And um, yeah, I just love it. And the last word to you, whatever you want to leave um, listeners with before we sign off. No, I'm thank you so much. This was a more generous, you know, um, invitation to my non-linear thoughts than I could have hoped for. And I hope, you know, I hope, I hope people give it a try. And when they do, like, send me feedback. Email hiatrinkia.com. It goes straight to me, and and I would love to. I would love to know what they think because we really want to raise the bar and build the beverage company of the future. And so we need we need people to tell us what they want. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day.